spreading Cajun across the nation, pushing the brand across the land. Welcome to Ragin' Review, made by the fans for the fans. Cajun Nation, Matt Miguez here. Welcome to another edition of Ragin' Review. Obviously, with the COVID-19 pandemic, conversations are, are a little limited in the in the sports world. But slowly, but sh- and slowly but surely, things are starting to get back to normal. You know, European soccer started the other day. Golf started the other day. NASCAR kicked back up. So you know, there's there's always the light at the end of the tunnel. You know, college sports are are coming soon. So just uh. Just hang in there a little bit longer. Jerry Abear is here with me, as always. Jerry, what's going on this morning, man? Oh, not too much. Pleasure to be here. Thanks for having me on, as always, man. Ready, ready to talk some RCAF. Yeah, absolutely. Speaking of RCAF, we are joined by two very special guests: Lee DeLeon, the executive director of RCAF and deputy athletic director, and Mr. Hans Melbranch, the assistant athletic director for development. Lee, Hans, what's going on this morning, guys? Good morning. Good morning. Thanks for having us on. Oh, man. Trying, trying not to go stir crazy at home. <laughs> Aren't we all? You know, <laughs> that's a full time job. We, we've been on a shelter in place since the end of March. March. Yeah, mid March. It's been almost two months. Yeah, it's. Um, it, it's it's been long enough without sports. Let's just say that. No doubt. Um, you know, guys, we we want to kick off this interview, kind of talking about you know the Raging Cajun Athletic Foundation and how the halt of college sports and the halt of of kind of life as we know it down here has kind of you know affected you guys. Um, you know, how have things been since the quarantine as far as the operations of the department and the goals that you guys have set as a department? Well, it's been different, that's for sure. But we're trying to, to make lemonade out of lemons and trying to um, really capitalize on the opportunities. You know, one of my mentors is the AD at North Carolina, and, and Bubba Cunningham, and he said, with uncertainty comes opportunity. And there's definitely... A lot of uncertainty right now, and, but there's also a lot of opportunity, and we're trying to do our best to um, make the most of it. You know, for example, um, you know our our relation, our uh, our jobs, and our business is all about relationships. And you know, sometimes in the world of, of fundraising, you know, people are not always super excited to take your phone call. You know, uh, because they know that you may be asking them for something. Um, but lately, you know, with the shelter in place and people, you know, being at home, they're, they're a lot. Uh, quicker to answer our calls, which is great. And so we've been able to have a lot of great conversations. We've been able to check in on people a lot without asking them for money and just to show them that we care about them, that we're thinking about them, that we uh, want to make sure that them and their families are safe and sound and, and doing well. And so it's, it's given us an opportunity to, to further build our relationships 
And, uh, you know, we've kind of hit the pause button on, on fundraising for a little bit. Uh, we can't hit it for very long because we, we do have, uh, you know, huge financial needs, as you all know. Um, but right now, it's just not the right time. And so we've been able to build relationships in, in other ways. And, and that's been great. And like I said, it's been a wonderful opportunity for us. And our team has actually enjoyed it. Very nice. Very nice. Now, with everything going on, um, obviously operations have changed. I'm sure uh, this threw a wrench, really in just any business, regardless of whether it's athletics or any type of other industry. But for you guys uh, at RCAF, um, during this time with uh, the quarantine period, with the fact that you know we were under a stay-at-home order for over a month or so, uh, what as far as operations go, what were the major changes as far as operations uh, are concerned that happened with RCAF during this time? Well, I'll start, you know, we, we decided to uh, work from home or we were told we should work from home, um, you know, back mid March. And uh, we've been doing, you know, remotely ever since we've been using a lot of Microsoft teams um, and zoom for video calls and, and chats um, and, and we've been able to you know, maintain social distancing and work from home and not have to go into the office at all. Um, I think I've only been in two or three times and that was just to record some videos and, and get away from the kids for a few hours and just be in the, in the peace of quiet when we did our, our virtual annual meeting, which I can talk about later. But uh, long story short, you know, we've, we've just basically the seven people in our CF team, we, we've split up and, and gone home and, and worked remotely. And um, we have, uh, teams meetings, video, video conferences every Monday morning, just to connect and to check in. And then you know, Hans and I meet weekly and I meet weekly with our annual giving team, which is Walker Roland and Caitlin Dubuque. And so we, we stay pretty well connected with each other and, uh, and we're going to be working home for a while. You know, Dr. Magger told us last week that, uh, you know, there's no rush. The football team, I mean, football staff, excuse me, went back to the office uh, yesterday so they're in the uh, SAPC, but uh, but we're all working remotely and, and we'll be continuing to do so for another month or so. Yeah. yeah. And, no, go ahead, Hans. I, I was just going to say, Lee had touched on uh, the virtual annual meeting. You know, you asked about things that have changed. <clears throat> some things change and some things stay the same. And, you know, in our world, we have to be continuing to deepen our relationships with our investors and you know they're picking up the phone now and, and we're able to talk to them without having to ask for anything like lee had mentioned earlier well we also want to continue to thank them for their support up until this point and and what we expect that they'll do later and so one of the things that we did continue to do but just had to morph the way it looked um, is our, our annual thankathon, and so historically we would get our student athletes together up in the stadium club, and, and we'd get them some pizzas and some burner phones, and, and they would set out making phone calls to all of our investors to thank them. Well, we couldn't get them together in the stadium club now, and so we had to be agile, think on our feet. And Kaylin Dubuque, uh, who's on our staff, did an incredible job of of using other resources, Google Phone. Uh, being one of them to allow us to continue to have that and to execute that virtually, remotely. Um, and so we had student athletes, I think 81 student athletes, if I'm not mistaken, 
make over 1500 calls, uh, left a ton of voicemails connected with a ton of investors. Um, and so even while working remote, even during COVID-19, we still wanted to make sure that we are doing uh, the fundamental things to keep our business moving forward. Um, and that is thanking our donors for everything that they've done for us. Very nice. Yeah. Very you nice. Know, the, the, that's an awesome aspect that you guys have always done. You know, I, I feel like as an investor reaching, getting spoken to by a student athlete to thank them for what you do is just, you know, for, for a college athletics investor, you know, the tip of the iceberg really for just, you know, that, that's an, that's an awesome aspect that you guys bring in to RCAF. You know, this pandemic has affected college athletics top to bottom across the board. Have you guys been in contact with other athletic departments, whether, you know, power five or division two, and what are some adaptations that those, those guys are making? Yeah, we, we've done a lot of um, idea stealing, if you will. <laughs> There's not a lot of original ideas in our industry. And so, um, you know, Hans and I have both been on a lot of webinars. We've read a lot of uh, industry emails, just seeing what other people are doing, learning best practices during this, uh, this different, you know, unprecedented time. And so, Yes, we have uh, we have learned a lot and done a lot, and stolen some great ideas from other schools. You know, one in particular, uh, we saw Georgia was doing uh, Zoom calls with donors and their you know prominent head coaches, and so we were like, man, we need to, we need to do something like that. Uh, I think that would be really well received around here. And so we uh, are setting up a a couple of conference calls via Zoom with. Coach Glasgow and Coach Deggs and Hans has taken the lead on that project and, and already off to a great start. And uh, we're going to invite all the people that um, decided to donate back their baseball and softball tickets, uh, which we can talk about as well, um, and opted not to take a refund. And we're going to we're going to show them our gratitude and appreciation by letting them spend some quality time with Coach Deggs and Coach Glasgow via Zoom. So that's just one example. Of many, but you know, Hans mentioned the Thankathon. Uh, other schools saw us do that and are really impressed by what what we did. You know, being able to do that without using their cell phones, being able to do that through Google Voice, and so people are are seeing what we're doing as well and, and emulating us. Hey, leading by example. I like it. I like it. That's well. Great. Uh, right now, uh, like Matt had said, you know, you could see so many different schools just trying to come up with, you know so many uh, contingency plans or different avenues to go at a time like this to be to be more creative you know outside of the thankathon uh, has this been a time where both of you have felt that the department has been more creative uh, has been a little more innovative I mean has it been one of those times where you've had to brainstorm a little bit more than you have had during just normal times go ahead Hans yeah um, so on one hand, yes. Uh, I mean, it's just the environment that we're in that we're forced to uh, think outside the box and do things differently because we don't have any other choice. Um, and then on the other hand, no, not necessarily because we were brainstorming and being creative before, but I think kind of the big difference is now there's a pressure release valve has been hit where we feel like you have the time to dedicate to brainstorming and being creative. 
if that makes sense. Well, we were doing it before, but maybe it was a little bit more rushed or, you know, what we're investing four hours now in discussing, we we're making decisions on in 45 minutes before. Um, and so with the kind of the slower pace, we're able to take our time and, and brainstorm a little bit more and be a little bit more creative than we were before. We mentioned like there's a lot of uh, idea sharing or idea stealing, you know, in our industry. Uh, and so that's always been going on. That's not new to COVID-19. But, you know, one of the things that we've been able to do, you asked the question a minute ago about talking with other athletic departments. What are they doing? A lot of people right now are educating training, doing online training, signing up for hour-long webinars, um, but also signing up for classes. I, I took part in a six-week academy uh, where I, like, I had homework and stuff. Like, I wouldn't have had time and I wouldn't have felt compelled to do that during the natural pace of spring athletics with baseball and softball and, and all these things going on. But in this time, like, we, we just have more time to dedicate to those types of things. When you're not commuting 30 minutes one way to the office, that's an hour of your time back that you can dedicate to brainstorming, being creative, connecting with donors, thanking donors, taking online classes. And so there's just, it feels like there's more time now, even though of course we're still working in the same 24 hours. Yeah, I completely agree. And, and you know, one thing that, um, one example of, of that, that uh, I really think we, <clears throat> were creative and thought outside the box was this virtual annual meeting that we referenced earlier. You know, we were planning on having our first ever RCAF in-person annual meeting on um, uh, April 6th, right before the spring game. I think that was the date. And um, when that spring game got canceled, you know, obviously we couldn't do that. And so, you know, <clears throat> we thought about, okay, well, what can we do? We still feel the need to better educate our members to tell them about financial impact um, that their dollars have made on our whole department you know, how, how can we do that you know what, what's what's another way for us to do that creatively and so we did this virtual annual meeting and I literally recorded it from my office via zoom and worked with our uh, producer uh, our assistant AD for broadcast Kevin Wilson to um, you know cut it up and, and try to make me look and sound better and we did some really cool interviews with Alyssa Dalton from softball and Billy Napier and, and Hollis Conway uh, and just got to, you know, do something different that we had never done before and ended up being a, a 34 minute YouTube video that we sent out to all of our members. And we've now recently posted on social media and we've gotten a lot of great feedback on it. You know, it's just, we've never done anything like that before. And this gave us an opportunity to try something outside the box and see if it worked and, and, you know, like like Hans said, we have more time to really vet these ideas and come up with with new methods of of delivery, if you will. And we think that was a hopefully a good example. Hope that you guys and your listeners uh, were able to check it out and, and learn a few things. You know, Hans, I, I want to ask you before we move on. You talked about doing a an online class with with homework. When was the last time you did homework? <laughs> Listen, there's a first time for everything, okay, guys? <laughs> there's I a mean, first time for everything. It's been a while. I mean, I, I graduated from undergrad in 08, went and got my MBA, graduated from 11, and, and probably haven't looked at the inside of a textbook since, the, since that time. But 
you know, with the opportunity that I had before me, you know, I'm one of those types. I, I, I want to continue working on the fundamentals um, and, and, and with fundraising, you know, talking to people, developing relationships, asking them for money, helping to tell the story about what our student athletes and our coaches are going through in the state of our program being able to steward those gifts on the back end and, and continuing to thank people and, and having the, you know, putting them in a position to feel that they're appreciated, that we're not simply looking at them as, as just kind of an ATM, all of those things. There's some common sense there, but then there's also some, some science um, that goes with it as well. And, and I just want to continue to be sharpening myself and, and be developing those skills. And I just felt like this was a great opportunity to do that. And, you know, it's funny you mentioned that, um, Hans, about how, how how donors aren't necessarily an ATM. You, you just kind of want to still um, refresh refresh your uh, your skills on, on, on doing what you do. Uh, but with that right now, it's such a, I guess you could say an odd time to fundraise because, you know, you've got people out of work. You've got people that are, that are um, under this quarantine that are getting furloughed from their jobs. And this is this is a question directly to both of you. Um, how have you how have you sort of toted the line in that regard, right? Because there's a lot of sensitivity right now going around. If you ask somebody for money who's unemployed because of everything going on with the COVID nineteen pandemic, where have you guys uh, uh, sort of toted that line? Where you know, even though you still have to get the job done, you're not upsetting fans from for basically just asking for money at such an awkward time. Well, the first thing that we did, Jerry, we just said, "Hey, look, nobody asked for any money uh, until June. We're just we're just going to take a break, and uh, we're not going to do any fundraising for a while." And uh, I think what that did was it just kind of allowed our our staff to kind of take some deep breaths and say, "Okay, well, let's just focus on building relationships. Let's let's check in on people and check in on, on their families and make sure people are happy and healthy and safe and sound." And so, so that, like, I, I hope, uh, kind of immediately put our staff at ease and just you know, gave them some freedom to have different types of conversations. Um, and we just wanted to be respectful of what, what people are going through, especially, you know, not only are we dealing with all the COVID-19 stuff, but the oil crisis you know, globally sure. and, and just the cost of oil and, and how much that's affected our donors. And so we're just trying to give people space right now. And, but... We still have a lot of money to raise, and, and uh, so you know, on June first, we're going to be sending out our, our RCAF renewals. Usually, those are sent out in April of every year, and so we we push that back by two months to try to give people some space and allow the economy to to settle a little bit and and allow us to get a better sense of of where things stand and allow the the cost of oil to go back up a little bit. But you know, at some point, we still have a job to do, and, and I think people understand that. And they're sensitive to that. But here's one thing that we're going to do different this year and, you know, constantly trying to tweak and adjust things is, you know, we, we, um, we've never done our renewals online before. And so we're going to do that this year. Um, and then we've also not allowed people to do pledges online. And then by pledges, I mean saying, Hey, you know, I usually give a thousand dollars to the RCAF and I still plan on doing that, but I'm not going to give it right now. So, uh, we're going to give people flexibility to say, yep, I'm in for a thousand bucks. You know, here's my credit card. You can charge it monthly or, hey, uh, I'll pay you before the start of football season uh, when you send your, your tickets and parking. So, 
we're just going to try to work with people more and be more flexible and allow, allow people uh, to give at a rate that they're comfortable, you know, and our job is not to do not, you know, we, yes, we want to raise as much money possible, but we want people to feel good about the investments that they make in our CAF athletics. I mean, in our CAF and in the athletics department, we, we want, we want to make people feel special. We want to make them feel good we, when they write that check or when they put in their credit card, we want them to, to feel good about it and know that their gifts are making an impact and that they're not being pressured or forced to do things, but they they can give because they, they want to give. And so, uh, we're uh, you're going to see a lot more flexibility uh, within the RCAF, uh, but our our mission still remains the same, which is to to raise as much money as possible to benefit raging cages student athletes. Yeah, and if I can add to that, there is a transactional component to our operation, and then there's a philanthropic component to our operation, and so that has always existed, but in a time like this in an environment like this i think that line of demarcation just becomes a little bit more obvious there are some people who give to the rcaf uh primarily so they can get tickets so they can get parking so they can get benefits and license plate tags and those sorts of things and then there are people who do that but also are giving um, because they want to see the program take steps forward, whether that, um, you know, move to a different conference or build a new facility or, you know, whatever the case may be. And so you asked kind of how have we been handling the fundraising? One of the things that's been really great about this uh, situation um, is that our need has become both greater and more public. And so what that has done is there have been people who uh, they want to give and they want to support our student athletes. They want to support our programs. And so they're sitting at home and they're reading in the paper, uh, hey, the baseball season has been canceled and the NCAA has allowed the, the seniors to be brought back. And Dr. Maggard says, you know, we're going to eat the cost on that. Okay, well, our expenses just went up. And our revenues just went down at the same time. And so I've had people call me, text me after reading that or hearing that and saying, hey, how can I help? You know, Lee mentioned earlier, we haven't been asking people for money. But that has not stopped people from offering to give money. And but that that's not a new need, right? I mean, we were raising money to support scholarships ever since the beginning. That's not new. Um, but what this, what this um, experience has, has shown me is there are people out there who want to support Raging Cajuns come hell or high water. And like Lee mentioned, hey, I may not be able to give what I did last year, but I'm going to give something. There are others who say, hey, I, I am going to give what I did last year. I just can't do it right now. And then there have been people that have also come up and said, hey, we want to give more because we recognize you guys need more. We want to help. The, the desire to support the Raging Cajuns, the affinity towards the program, to see the Vermilion and White be as best as they can possibly be and continue to take steps forward, that, that desire has not waned. That desire, in fact, has grown for many people during this. And that's been the real beautiful thing um, that I've witnessed throughout all of this is people 
rising up and saying, hey, there's a lot going on right now in our world and in our homes and in our businesses, but we recognize there's a lot going on in your world too. Let me know how I can help. And I, I've just had some really tremendous conversations with some really incredible supporters. Yeah, you know, that that's one thing being a being a lifelong resident of Lafayette, you know, seeing it, it it's funny how in times in, in uncertain times like this, you know, the, the community always seems to seems to come together and be stronger than it's ever been. And that's something that, you know, I've always loved about this about this community. Um guys, you know, the we talked about the softball and baseball ticket options earlier you know, whether fans could get a, a refund or donate the tickets back to the department or, or whatever the case may be. Talk a little bit about the, the feedback on that end, um, how, how the fans reacted to that and how, how that, how having those options has kind of helped keep donors around. Well, first off, Matt, that, that was a really tough um, kind of situation and, 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 circumstance for all of us to navigate because you know baseball and softball here are different from everywhere else especially in the sunbelt conference you know they actually are sources of revenue for us and when the season got canceled i mean that really hurt us um financially um we did save some money by not having to take trips to you know coastal carolina and whatever uh, the rest of the season so that that was a positive but you know it, it's never good when seasons get canceled and we're having to have refund type of conversations. And Dr. Maggard is a great AD and I really commended him for the way that he thought about this whole process and that, Hey, look, we knew we were going to you know, take a hit this current fiscal year, right? We knew that our revenues were going to suffer tremendously this fiscal year. Um, but he made a decision that at first I was like, wait, what? And then it, it made so much more sense. He said, look, we are not going to allow people the opportunity to uh, apply their credit towards next year. And I, you know, Hans and I had done a lot of research and saw that that's what most departments are doing right now. And I didn't really understand it. But then he said, look, we're just, we're just going to take it on the chin this, this fiscal year. We know it's going to be hard and we know we're going to lose money. Um, but but after that, you know, we want to try to get back to normal for next fiscal year as quickly as possible. And and so that's what we did is we allowed people to get a refund this year. And we're going to we're going to write a bunch of checks in the next week or two for hundreds of thousands of dollars, um, because people, if they want a refund, they, they deserve a refund. Um, but we're not allowing people to apply it towards next year because we didn't want to lose revenue for next season. We're going to desperately need that revenue for next season. And so we, we try to come up with an attractive option for people to consider, which is to, to gift the prorated amount of their tickets this year, uh, allow it to go through the foundation, then to get a tax deduction for that gift, uh, and to give them extra priority points and to allow them to come to one of our, our, our uh, socials, the uh, RCAF first pitch social before baseball and softball season began. And so a lot of people took us up on that. As Hans mentioned, they were incredibly generous. We're, we're so thankful for them. Um, in the end, we were we were relatively pleased with the numbers. I uh, don't think I can necessarily share them or haven't been given permission to share them. But, you know, in, in the end, it was about what we thought it would be as far as credit versus refund. And uh, we're so thankful for all those people that were able to 
to do the gift credit. And but the people that took a refund, we don't hold it against you. We understand times are tough, and, and we get it. And hopefully, they'll uh, they'll take that money and, and invest it back in the RCF uh, when they can. Yeah, and um, moving forward now with football coming up, um, there's still talks. It's still a little early, um, but as states start to open back up, as some of these states, uh, like like our like our own in Louisiana, we're in phase one, I believe. Texas or Georgia, uh, they're going to be going into phase two pretty soon. So as these states start to slowly open back up, the conversation of football increases, uh, and there's a lot more confidence that there will be a football season. Uh, what strategies or what steps are you taking at RCAF in anticipation for football season? And as far as, um, you know, whether it's a seat donation, whether it's just a donation with your season tickets, has any of that changed? And what type of contingency plans are in place through RCAF if football season gets changed in any kind of way? Well, to be honest with you guys, RCAF, you know, while we're going to be in the loop, you know, we're not um, leading those conversations as far as how is football going to happen and, and um, you know, what's that going to look like? You know, I'm involved because I'm, I sit on Brian's executive staff, but, you know, John Duga, who oversees facilities and operations, uh, is, is uh, on a campus committee and he's kind of been the athletic department lead for all conversations regarding uh, COVID-19 and, and the reopening of things. And so, He's, he's very much involved with that, and they're thinking about different ways to uh, to pull off a, a football season at home. Uh, so Hans and I in our department, we're not really involved with those kind of conversations as far as like, I know that they're happening as far as, you know, how many people can we fit in the stadium? You know, do we need to have space between, you know, families, you know, open seats? Do we need to um, temperature check people on their way in? Do we need to uh, wear masks? Do we need to have a certain percentage capacity that, you know, just like the restaurants are doing right now. So there's a lot of those types of conversations happening and those questions being asked. Hans and I are not in the middle of them all. Um, but I do think that, as you said, Jerry, there's momentum right now surrounding the, the season and the, the possibility of playing. And, you know, I'll tell you this much, you know, we are fully um, prepared and planning on, on if there is going to be a season as usual. So, you know, we're not um, we're not talking contingencies, to be honest with you. I mean, we're, we're absolutely 100% planning on there being a season. And, uh, gosh, we sure hope that there is one. I can't imagine a fall without college football. And so uh, everything from the RCAF's perspective is planning on the season happening and happening on time. Very nice. Very nice. Yeah, you, you know – life in, in, in the South can't really function without <laughs> college football in the fall. So, I mean, I'm with you on that one. I, I can't imagine, you know, not having a college football season in, in South Louisiana. Yep. You know, be, what is, you know, if you, if you can share what, how, do you, if you guys are aware of how close is, you know, what what have you heard about the upcoming season in terms of, you know, obviously outside of football, what the ideas are in terms of donating and, you know, the RCA from from an RCAF perspective, what what are the plans for the 2020-2021 athletic year? Well, you know, like I said, we're, we're sending out the renewals uh, on June 1st, and, uh, you know, we're finalizing our 
uh, membership benefit grant right now are finalizing our, our parking forms. We're, uh, you know, finalizing our tailgate and RV plans. And, you know, again, business as usual, um, we're, the, the only main adjustments are going to be uh, kind of being more flexible with people. And, and so allowing more pledges, you know, so let's say you get that uh, email on June 1st and you say, yep, I want to, I want to give my thousand dollars again. I just can't do it right now. Okay. Well just tell us that you plan on doing it and, and tell us how you plan on doing it. So if you want to do a monthly payment plan or a quarterly payment plan, give us your credit card. We'll put it on file and we'll do that. Or if you want, just want to wait until, you know, the last possible minute, well, we send out, uh, we order parking passes and send them out, you know, uh, or let me see here, mid-August. And so let's just say um, we have to know, people have to pay off their football pledges by mid-August in order for us to mail them their parking pass and tickets on time. So uh, we'll, and we'll have a, we'll have a, a deadline for, for basketball. We'll have a deadline for baseball and softball. And so as long as you pay off your pledges before we actually have to send you your tickets and parking, then we're good. But we're going to be flexible there. And so I think that's the biggest adjustment that you'll see out of RCAF is a little bit more flexibility, a little bit more understanding. And I, and I hope people appreciate that. Very nice. Very nice. You know, Lee and Hans, both of you guys are, are approaching the, the one-year mark of, of being in Acadiana. Obviously, you know, the, the COVID-19 pandemic has, has kind of derailed some things. But, but as, as a whole, what's been your, your favorite part about being here in Cajun country? And what, what do you look forward to for, for the future? Start us off, Hans. You know, for me, uh, it's twofold. <clears throat> the food here <laughs> is absolutely incredible. Amen. Uh, and, and the people are even better. And, you know, he, here's an example of that. Lee mentioned earlier that we had been talking to several uh, different athletic departments and, and um, specifically when we were working on putting together the baseball softball ticket plan, I personally had reached out to over a dozen colleagues at other universities, other departments to see what they were doing. And almost to a T, none of them were giving options. They were all giving refunds. But our baseball and softball supporters, we felt, Dr. Maggard felt, uh, and other leadership felt that our, our fans may want an option to donate the money back to the program, that they just believed in the program that much. And so um, unlike most other athletic departments, we gave our fans options to gift their tickets or to receive the refund. And a good portion of them offered to gift their tickets back. And so schools like Texas A&M and Ole Miss and, I mean, big schools, little schools, Power 5, G5, whatever. I mean, I talked to a bunch of different folks. Almost everybody was just giving refunds, giving refunds, giving refunds. And not or credit, or credit towards next year. An option. Or correct. Or credit towards next year. But we just felt like our fans were different. Our people were different. The culture here is different. And we wanted to give folks an opportunity to do that. And, and, and many of them took that. And so that just kind of 
really speaks to um, the people here and, and the culture here. And, you know, supporting the Raging Cajuns is more than just Cajun Cooking Club. It's more than just a tailgate spot. You know, it's different here. We, we talked a minute ago just about, you know, Saturdays in the fall. You know, what, what is life here without college football? Like, it's, it's different here. The people here are awesome. Uh, the food here has been great. And the way that my family has been taken in here, uh, I mean, it's, it's easy for me to, for people to like me. I, I'm part of the university. I, you know, I, I'm part of the Raging Cajuns. But, like, my wife and my kids, they've been able to come here and make their own friends and develop their own communities. Uh, and they have been embraced. Uh, by Cajun Nation, and they've been embraced by the people of Acadiana. And as a husband and father, I mean, that makes all the difference to me. So coming up on year one, it has superseded my expectations tremendously. All right, Hans, I'm, I'm going to put you on the spot. Favorite restaurant in Lafayette? You can't do that to me. <laughs> Lee, Lee, Lee will tell you, I don't, I don't do favorites. I don't have a favorite song. I don't have a favorite movie quote. Um, I'll, I'll tell you what I've been disappointed in i'm gonna flip it on you okay. there's a there, there's just a, a lack of really great mexican food i like i'm i i've been underwhelmed by the mexican food in acadiana have you been to agave no where's that I like it. It's across the street, Hans. Come on. You need you need to go to Agave. Yeah, I like Agave. I haven't, been, I haven't been to Agave. I'll tell you what, the four of us need to get together and go to Agave. The next time we tape, we'll do it at Agave. There we go. That, that sounds like a sponsorship opportunity, if you ask me. <laughs> that's, that's, that my, that's my go-to pregame spot right there. They got great, ah. like, great queso. Yeah. Hey, you know what? Here's an idea. I'm going to brainstorm for both of you right now. I'm going to brainstorm right now. And, and, and I don't know if this is beyond your realm of what you can do or not. Maybe, maybe I need to get, we need to get Dr. Maggard on here or Dr. Savoy, somebody, but I'll ask you guys, what if we did a restaurant and bar attached to one of the stadiums? Yeah. No, that's and taking all the is. money instead of, you know, because for you guys, instead of having to to fundraise by doing what you're doing. Obviously, what you're doing now is is, is is working, but at the same time, wouldn't it make your jobs a lot easier just to get the revenue from from like an open like bar connected to one of the stadiums? No doubt. And that's something <laughs> that, I, that, that I think Dr. Maggard has been wanting and asking for for a long time. And so yeah, you're uh, you're not wrong there. That would be that would be great. If I could go back to, to Matt's question for a second and Everything that Han said is, is spot on the way that people have uh, embraced us and our families, the way that um, they have accepted us as their own and welcome to this community has been unbelievable. The food, as, as Han said, has been great as well. But, but I've been uh, super impressed with Dr. Maggard. He, he is unbelievable. He is a tremendous uh, athletic director. He's also a, a tremendous person. We're, uh, we're fortunate enough to be neighbors. Uh, we live four houses down, and, and uh, man, he and his wife and their family, uh, their son Dalton is giving music lessons to, to my son Landon right now, and uh, I've just been really blessed tremendously by that whole family, and I know my wife Lacey has been blessed tremendously by Carrie in particular. Um, she, you know, Lacey and I, you know, I, I was fortunate enough to be an athletic director for three and a half years, um, and 
part of the reason why I, I left that job was to to go work for somebody and learn from somebody and be mentored by somebody uh, who could help me grow. And, and Brian has done that in, in, uh, in leaps and bounds. But the other cool thing is my wife has really learned from Carrie on how to be an AD's wife. And uh, she has been tremendous. And so uh, I would just add to what Han said earlier. Um, and Dr. Savoie, too, I mean, just the leadership of this university is tremendous. Dr. Savoie knows everybody, has incredible relationships, has a great vision for this university. And uh, and I think that we're in, in, in tremendously capable hands uh, as a university moving forward. And the future is extremely bright. Very good. Very good. So, so right now for both of you, um, have you been back to the office? Have you been able to kind of get things back rolling now that, uh, the state's going through phase one, what, what steps have you taken to kind of start that long process of normalcy, uh, especially with the fact that football season is around the corner? Yeah. J- just what I mentioned earlier that, you know, the football, um, uh, staff is in the process of, of going back to the office and being there in person at the, uh, the Mosing Student Athletic Performance Center. But uh, the rest of us, the, the rest of the athletic department, the rest of campus is not planning on being in the office anytime soon. So uh, it may be June, it may be July, it may not even be till August, Jerry. But we're, we're taking our time and trying to trying to be safe and not, uh, not be unnecessarily, um, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? accessible to the campus you know we we we're thriving in this environment of working from home and and, you know i think right now no one's in a rush to get back to the office Uh, the zoom calls and the and the phone calls are going great surprisingly you know and i'm not going to complain because i actually get to spend a lot of time with my family and we eat lunch together outside every day we're we're playing baseball and basketball as soon as i get off work around 5 5 30 every day and uh, the pool just reopened this weekend, which is a big deal in the Daleon household. So we're going to the neighborhood pool uh, uh, on a very frequent basis. And so, you know, I don't think any of us is in a rush. And, and so uh, we're still able to be extremely productive working from home and, and we're going to continue to be productive working from home. Yeah. You know, Lee, Lee, you talked about playing baseball and basketball. You know, I'm, I'm friends with you on Facebook and watching the videos that you've been <laughs> you've been posting lately has been uh been awesome especially luke hitting his his first <laughs> jumper yeah he's yeah, got a meat jump shot on him that video kind of went viral we've been joking uh it's got over six thousand views on, on twitter <laughs> and uh you know he is so funny luke is, is not as into sports as me and his older brother landon are and um you know, as soon as the video cuts off, you know, he hits the shot. We're going around, running around like crazy. But the video cuts off. He actually sat down on the court holding the ball and started crying because he didn't like how much we celebrated. <laughs> so luckily that wasn't, wasn't in the video. The, the tears shed did not show up. But, uh, yeah, he, he, he is, uh, he's, got, he's a great at, little athlete, but he's just not that into it right now. Hopefully that will change. That's awesome. Well – I did want to ask uh, before we go, and and just to kind of change the subject real quick. Um, you know, we're seeing sports uh, around the country make drastic changes. I think Furman had just recently announced that they're dropping baseball. I believe Bowling Cincinnati game. had announced that they're dro- uh, dropping men's soccer. A few other schools have basically furloughed some of their athletic programs. Uh, I know Dr. Maggard had said the other day that um, – 
that, you know, UL has no intention of doing the same, which I'm sure is a, you can breathe a heavy sigh of relief upon hearing that. I know I did. Um, just the sports, the college sports world in general, from a standpoint of fundraising, right? Because whenever sports, whenever schools drop sports, it's because they, you know, whether they don't have the money or they just don't have the infrastructure to, to keep the sport going. Um, what kind of changes do you see in college athletics as a whole, especially from a monetary standpoint? Because, you know, you can... You can have only so much money sometimes, but also uh, there are situations where with everything going on across the board, you kind of have to react to what the market does, right? Where do you see college athletics, especially right now with these massive changes going on? Uh, do you see sports kind of changing temporarily and then coming sort of, sort of returning to a normalcy? Or is this something that could be permanent in the long run? Well, I'll tell you this much. Uh, you know, I teach a class here at UL, um, Intro to Sport Management. And previously at University of Arizona, I taught a class called The Business of College Sports. And I've been saying for years, I did a whole lecture on sustainability. You know, the, the rate of spending in college athletics is, is so extraordinary that I just don't know if it's sustainable. And what I think we're seeing now is, you know, with COVID-19 happening and all the cancellation of sports, people are realizing, man, I don't know if we can afford, continue to afford what we were doing. You know, the amount of uh, growth in athletic department budgets over the last 10 years is just astronomical. You know, I think, um, you know, one of my other mentors, Jay Jacobs, was the, is at Florida now. He was AD at Auburn. And I think, you know, 10 years ago, the, the Auburn budget was, you know, 70, 80 million. Now it's 150, you know, and, and it's just, it's crazy how much things have changed and how much we're paying coaches and, you know, all the things that are happening right now. And so I do think that um, this has given everybody a chance to kind of step back and reevaluate in a good way. Um, unfortunately, that means that some sports are getting cut and some people are getting furloughed, which sucks in the short term. It, it really sucks. And I feel terrible for those people. I've got good friends that are having to deal with that. Um, you know, Bowling Green just cut baseball. And my friend Bob Mooseburgers, the AD there, he played baseball at Bowling. Wow. You know, can you imagine having to cut the sport that you played? Um, and so, you know, my heart breaks for them. However, at the same time, it's uh, it's been interesting to see, you know, these, a lot of these schools have been talking and thinking about these things for a long time. And now they're actually doing them, you know. And so while it sucks that people are losing jobs and, and kids are losing sports, I think for the long-term health of our industry, this is actually going to be a good thing because it's going to force people to reevaluate is, you know, is this sustainable and can we continue to afford uh, these sports and these salaries and these expenses that we have? You know, I think the reason why we're not furloughing and, and taking salary cuts just yet, and I hope that it doesn't come to that, but the reason why right now, in my opinion, is that we've been really good stewards with the money. I think we, we spend, you know, we're, we're, we're not fat. We're not a fat organization. There's not a lot of fat to trim and we're, we're, we pinch pennies a lot. And so, you know, we're going to continue to pinch pennies and, and hopefully not have to go those routes. Um, but I do think this has been a healthy way for a lot of different programs to evaluate the sustainability of their expenditures moving forward. And I think, and, and to, to piggyback on that, Lee, I think when you look at um, especially the P5 schools, 
you know, you got some schools out there that are self-sufficient financially. They don't need state funding, but at the same time, any type of revenue they bring in, they spend. It's like you said, mm-hmm. I mean, you bring in a massive budget. Well, you got to pay the, if you want to pay the coach or the football coach, That's $5 right. million and you pay the, you pay the basketball coach $2 million or $3 million and you do a stadium renovation worth a hundred million dollars. Right. A lot That's of that right. money you bring in, there's no reserve account, right? A, a lot of college athletic programs don't really have much, much to, to save on, right? They spend yep. it because they have to compete for, uh, you know, if they want to compete for championships, they got to compete against the big boys. You look at the big boys, they spend money and they have a lot of money. Uh, Hans, this is directly directed at you. This is a question for you. You came from Mississippi State last uh, last year, the year before. And when you came in, you know, Mississippi State's kind of in that, it's kind of like a tweener, right? Uh, they don't have the budget that University of Texas has, but they're an SEC school. Um, you know, the big debate right now has been uh, people are saying, well, you got schools that are self-sufficient and um, you know, they're going to do fine. The problem is there's only maybe 25 to 30 schools that could say that. So the, and as, as far as FBS goes, you've got a hundred other schools that don't have that luxury. And you've seen a certain P5 schools actually announced recently that they're cutting coaching budgets or coaches budgets by like 10 to 15% across the board to save on early now. Uh, so Hans, my question for you coming from a school like Mississippi state, that is sort of like that tweener, um, what have you seen as far as athletics go? And, and have you talked to anybody from whether it's Mississippi State or even for you, Lee, coming from like an Arizona or Purdue, uh, those schools that aren't necessarily self-sufficient but have to compete with the so-called big P5 schools, where does that put them? Um, because, again, in the P5, you got your schools that are self-sufficient, but you got a lot of them that aren't. So where does that put – does that put those – middle of the pack P5 schools in an awkward position in that case financially? Yeah, so I think the Mississippi State example is a really good one because uh, they have one of the smallest operational budgets in the SEC, um, and yet they are competing for championships and they play at a high level. And so Scott Strickland, who is now the AD at Florida, he was my AD when I started there, and uh, and then John Cohen came in and, and is there now, and uh, both of those guys have done an incredible job uh, about, be- about being very wise and very strategic in the way that they spent money. They, don't, they can't go dollar for dollar with Alabama and Auburn and Georgia and all these other people, and this is just in their conference. Forget, you know, the nation as a whole. They're not competing dollar for dollar against Texas and USC and Notre Dame, uh, but they still field highly competitive programs. Their baseball team is consistently vying for the College World Series. Their women's basketball team went to several uh, Final Fours recently. Um, Their football team is is winning games and, and, and knocking off people, and so... Um, what Mississippi State has been able to do really well and, and is a if you got really that interested is to go back and look at how they've been able to strategically invest their revenues um, with regards to the coaches they hire, the facility upgrades that they choose to pursue, um, the, the fan experience things that they add uh, to, to game day because they don't have the revenues that an Alabama has, but they still have to compete. You still have to get on the field or on the court 
um, and compete with those guys. And they've been able to do that at a really high level over a long period of time. And so I think if nothing else, that gives hope to the hundred plus programs that you talked about that are in that same boat where our expenses outweigh our income. But that doesn't that doesn't give us a license to be foolish with it. Um, you, you, you can be in that position and still be very strategic. Uh, and Mississippi State's been able to do, do a great job of that. Yeah, I, I think, you know, nationally, this is, it's, it's going to be really interesting. Um, and there's always a concern that, that the haves are going to uh, uh, further separate themselves from the have-nots. And I think that you're going to see that right now um, because the, the haves are not cutting anything, you know. And uh, to your point, Jerry, only 25, 30 of them uh, are able to be self-sufficient and be able to you know, survive on their own. Um, and even less than that are able to put money aside each year and build up reserves. I would say that number is more like five, <laughs> five, five or ten, you know. Wow. Ohio State, Texas, Florida, you know, very, very few um, are, are in that boat. And so, um, you know, people are going to be forced into uh, really, you know, trimming the fat and, and, and analyzing their numbers. And, you know, that's why it's so crucial for college football season to happen. I mean, if college football season doesn't happen, it's going to be catastrophic. Um, but to be honest with you, in all the meetings and conversations I'm having, no one is talking about that. Thank God. <laughs> well, it's interesting because right now, you know, you've got certain states like California where there's talks of those some of the California schools just not, you know, not having uh, classes in person. And that's kind of poured into athletics. Uh, and there's talks. Uh, and then, I mean, that's preliminary, right? It's not nothing's etched in stone. It's not finalized. But from what I'm from what I read last week, there were some Pac-12 schools that were trying to go after some contingency plans on their scheduling and just being like, look, well, if the California schools don't want to play us and they count as conference games, let's just go to the other teams like your Arizona's and your Arizona States and do home and homes and count those as, as you know, basically two conference games into one. Um, so I think there's a lot of schools out there that are at the point where it's like, like you said, you know, we need football. I mean, this is our bread and butter. This is like they say, football drives the bus when it comes to the, the money that's being made. Um, so there's schools out there that are just like, look, if certain schools don't want to play, we're going to go to a plan B. <laughs> I think right. it's at the point where they don't have a choice. Yep. Yep. I don't, I don't really know how things are going to end up, but I know people are, are determined to make it happen. And there's a lot of people that are a lot smarter than me that are making those determinations. And, and I'm confident that uh, we're going to end up in a place where we can all feel good about it. And I, I think this actually could be good. I mean, I think all of us, you asked about the things that uh, Matt asked a question about the things that have, have exceeded our expectation. One thing that has been disappointing, just to be brutally honest with you guys and transparent, is football attendance. I mean, we had our best season ever and uh, won 11 games in, in attendance. We couldn't crack 25,000, and it was really disappointing. And you know, season ticket sales right now are not good, understandably, and our renewal rate is pretty low. Um, but I do think that if, if we can just uh, pull off and, and have that game against McNeese on September 5th and, and be fully open and, and, and back and operational, 
operationally, I think that place is going to be packed because I think people are going to be craving um, community and craving fellowship and craving, you know, sports, live sports. And so I think in a weird way, this could be good for our attendance because uh, I think people are going to be really excited and ready to get back out to Cajun Field. You know, Lee, Lee you brought up the, the football attendance and, and how disappointing it was. You know, we, we held a, a whole episode strictly on that topic. So, you know, you, you can make the joke, well, we could spend a, a whole hour discussing that. We already did. <laughs> um, you know, you talked about – you brought up the McNeese game. That game will always be a, a packed house just because of the – I don't want to use the word rivalry, but almost kind of like a rivalry that it's been over the last, you know, 25, 30 years between between UL and McNeese. You know, guys, I want to I wanna close this episode we've asked – just about everybody that we've interviewed from the department or former players, if you can describe in one word what it means to you being a raging Cajun, what would it be? Community. I think that the raging Cajun community is really strong. And um, I think the way that they have embraced my family and me and the way that they embrace our student athletes and the way that they just love and support our coaches. Uh, it's really powerful. And the, the community here is, is unbelievable. And it's, it's very um, uh, inspiring to be honest. It, make, it makes me want to be better. It makes me want to accept and embrace and love people the way that they've accepted, embraced and loved us. And Hans, uh, so, what about you? Yeah, so Lee took my word. So if it's all right with you guys, I'm going to have to go to my second word. And that's unrelenting. From, from the way that the fans support the program to the way that our student athletes compete to the way that everybody, coaches, staff, student athletes, fan, community members uh, pursue excellence. Uh, everybody around this deal since I've got here has just been relentless in their um, approach to um, supporting our program, to seeing us succeed, but also to excel. I mean, it, it just, it never ends. We have an, uh, an 11 win season and, and people are right back at it. Like, okay, how can we get to 12 wins next year? How do we take it to the next level? And, uh, and so the community aspect of, is, is huge, uh, and that would have been my first choice. Uh, but if I had to go to my plan B word, it's just a relentlessness or, or an unrelenting uh, mentality of, about everybody involved with this community and this program. Yeah, I, I love that. You know, the almost unanimous choice has kind of been the community, family aspect of of Acadiana you know from from top to bottom when we've asked that's kind of been the almost unanimous answer uh Lee Hans we appreciate you guys joining us as always um you know we look forward to the 2020-2021 athletic season and hopefully before the season starts and maybe during the season we can we can catch up with you guys again well, I appreciate that if I if I could just add one thing before you let us go Matt is we're so thankful for everybody's support and the incredible 2,700 members that we have of the RCAF and 
all you guys do. However, I just want to, I'd be remiss if I didn't say, we're going to need you guys now more than ever. We've got to grow. We've got to expand. We've got to get the current people to, to do more. Um, these unprecedented times are calling for unprecedented measures and uh, we need your help. So um, thank you guys for what you do and look forward to working you with you uh, to take this thing to new heights. And please Amen. don't, I was going to say, don't hesitate to be guests. Come on anytime. Well, we yeah, appreciate well, that. Look, it took six months and a pandemic for y'all to invite us back. What's the deal? <laughs> <laughs> well, I'll tell you this, Hans. You know, the past uh, month or two, it's been, uh, it's been, it's been odd times even for us. Uh, you know, whether it's trying to find material to record or whether it's just trying to really come up with a plan B just in general of everything going on, especially around athletics. You know, we had about a month, we took about a month's hiatus because there were no sports. There was really nothing to talk about. Now that we're finally getting uh, news coming out that states are reopening back up, including ours. The fact that uh, there's been sort of a consistent message of football coming back in the fall. Uh, now Matt and I were like, man, we got to get our we got to get our game back on and, and, and invite our invite our boys, Lee and Hans, and, and talk a little <laughs> bit about this upcoming season. So, no, thank you guys for coming on again. Please do not hesitate to come on anytime y'all want to come on and discuss anything with our CAF because, you know, I think I, I think fans are starting to realize how important athletic foundations are. I mean, it's outside of just the athletic budget. The, the RCAF is a backbone of, of how we're able to function as a program, um, you know. No doubt. We talk about how Coach Napier was getting phone calls from bigger schools last year. He could have left, and it's 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 foundations like the RCAF where people can give money to keep them around a little bit longer, or That's or right. to to up the ante on um, Coach Matt Deggs's contract, to uh, to up the ante on 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 stadium enhancements or facility improvements. I mean, what you guys do goes a very 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 long long way so thanks no i mean on behalf of matt and i thanks for what you do to uh appreciate our program i mean this is our alma mater man and so we understand the importance of what what you do and 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 understand that it's it's imperative that fans do get involved and this is the perfect avenue and and perfect avenue of transparency as well for fans to get involved in any way they can well we appreciate that a lot man thanks again for having us we're grateful for y'all's support all right, Cajun Nation, as always, you can listen to us anywhere you get your podcasts, and you can follow us on every social media channel there is. We'll talk to you guys soon, and as always, go Cajuns. Go Cajuns. Go Cajuns.